Hello fellow Redbirds, welcome to Bird Fans Forever podcast number 51. Please follow us on Bird Fans Forever Twitter account to be notified of our latest podcast videos. Also go visit our website www.birdfansforever.com where you can find a list of our previous podcasts. Finally go visit Bird Fans Forever on YouTube and slam dunk that subscribe button. Our YouTube site has our Redbird game archive where you can go find a classic Redbird game to watch. We've been getting a lot of videotapes from friends of the podcast that John has been transcribing to our, our digital library. Our guest today played for the Illinois State Redbirds from 1954 to 1958. He made 35 consecutive free throws in a season and held the single season free throw record for 66 years. He was inducted into the Illinois State Athletics Percy Family Hall of Fame in 1991. Please welcome to the podcast, Redbird for Life, Gene Jontry. This is Bird Fans Forever, and welcome to episode 51. We have the legend, Gene Jontry. Gene played for ISU from 1954 to 1958. He made it into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I have got to know Gene over the course when I was a freshman in 85. Um, he was a legend walking around. And so, um, Gene, thank you for being on. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Yep. It's snowing outside. Gene drove over. He's in my house. And so we're here to record. This is going to be awesome. Gene, this is how we always start, or we usually start, is how'd you get to ISU? Well, the opportunity for uh, coaching and teaching was one of my goals as I went out of high school as a basketball player, you know, with all conference leading scorer in the conference at 22 points a ball game. And so, you know, I uh, took advantage of a teacher education scholarship and a meal job at Illinois State University in 1954. Pim Goff was a coach at that time at Illinois State University, and he recruited me, and uh, I had some ankle problems my freshman year a little bit and didn't play as much as I would like to. But, you know, I really came into my own in 1956-57, where I scored 31 points over at Western Illinois in a ball game, and they had not lost a game at home in 29 games in about three years. So basically that was my heyday of getting started of ISU basketball. I shot a lot of threes, John. And uh, Steve, <laughs> long before they became three-point counters. But I could hit those from, now this is not an exaggeration, mainly from 27, 28 on out to 35 feet. And I could put up a 35-footer and put it in a basket. So that's kind of my heritage. I came as a shooter, and Pim Goff wanted me to score, and after I scored 31 points, you know, at Illinois State, you know, the range was anything around 27, 28 feet. But you we must talk like off air. Oh, you, you, you didn't like Western Illinois because not only did you put 31 points, I think the next year you put 28 points up against them. So did you have That's something right. against Western? <laughs> no, but basically my last home game at McCormick Gym, we got shaded by uh, UA. 4.9793 game at home, our only home loss of the year, and I pumped in 11 baskets and six free throws in a closely contested game, but we lost it to gun, you know, by four. 
they went on to real success in the NIA tournament, you know, and they won it one year and got second and they got third. And they had some awful good talent at Western during that period of time. Hey, you were also off air, you telling us how much you were paid to work at the cafeteria? You want 75 to cents an hour, John, and the, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you hustled as best you could at 75 cents an hour. And that's what you got at the Pilgrim Restaurant where I worked, and also if you worked in the cage area over at the McCormick Gym at that time, you got paid state wage at 75 cents an hour. Wow, wow. All right, we were going to talk about milk, but I want to hear about McCormick. Right? We used to play, a lot of the guys would go over there and play if we couldn't get into Horton uh, at the time because Redbird wasn't built when I got there as a right. freshman. Talk about playing in McCormick, right? You had to go up the stairs. Where was the locker room at? It was like a uh, high school gym scenario where the gym was real close to the floor. The trapeze, you know, of Arapanea for Gamma Phi Circus was in there and for PE. Then the locker room was downstairs. You had to go down some steps on the back way and you went down there and it was the locker room area, the cage area. PJ uh, Benjamin was a trainer. The training facility for taping you and that type of thing was downstairs. But basically, the Two gyms were upstairs. One was a large gym where we played the games, and then there was an adjacent facility you may be familiar with, John. You know. Oh, yeah. So basically, that's where it went. And of course, we were waiting on the development of, you know, uh, Horton Fieldhouse, which was quite an improvement, you know, facility wise. Oh, sure. Yeah, that wasn't built till 62. Um, so, talk about how loud was McCormick? I mean, what was the feel? Was well, the crowd it, the volume became great, and if you would take the Western Illinois game, you would have to take a championship level uh, audience for a high school basketball state championship or super sectional, and the volume was tremendous. Yeah, I just was always wondering, right, because I know the, the bleachers came in from the sides and you played down the middle of the court. And, um, very cool. I if you'd shoot a, go ahead. Go ahead. When you uh, actually would shoot a drive-in, you know, to the basket for a layup, you would hit, uh, you know, the first row bleachers almost, you know, close to the edge of the floor as you would go flying in. And I shot a lot of you know, drive-in baskets on fast breaks, you know, where I'd kind of fall into the bleacher, which was padded with a mat. <laughs> but I still got there, and I had great passes from Dave Schertz, Buzz Shaw, and others to help get me some points, you know, on fast break baskets. Awesome. We'll come back and talk about your freshman year, but let's talk. You had a story, uh, Milt Weisbecker. Right, so you and I were talking about him off air, so. Melt was uh, the athletic director yet and director of development with the Illinois ISU Foundation. And him and I went to a lot of meetings. I helped him develop some additional programs when he was uh, involved with the foundation. 
and I was a member of the foundation board for 16 years. I was a member of the uh, athletic, uh, or the, uh, you know, athletic uh, alumni association for uh, 12 years. So I had about 28 years of working with the people in administration, you know, with the foundation and the alumni association. But Milton and I went to a final game out at uh, Madison Square Garden at that time where we got beat on a uh, shot at the head of the free throw circle by Otis Birdsong, who went on for IS, you know, MBA, you know, fame. But we had a good shot of winning that game, but with uh, seconds to go, he had one at the top of the key, okay? Nothing but the bottom of the net. Yeah, that's always Birdsong. I mean, Hall of Fame legend of the NBA from the 60s and 70s. So, right, John. Yes. Yeah, my dad used to talk about him all the time, so that is awesome. Well, Gene, let's talk about your freshman year, right? You were talking about being on the B team. Explain how the B team works and then the guys you played with and moving up and that all fun stuff. Well, we had a situation with Pim Goff you know, who he would move a person who was playing on the B team and interchange him for insertion on the varsity for four to five minutes. And if you were expected to put the ball up, you know, and try to score during that four or five minute period of time. And Les Hellman and I are two examples of guys that played on the B team, uh, maybe average 15, 18 points a ball game and yet we still were a member of the varsity, you know, squad and would be inserted in the lineup if we were having a good night shooting. And I shot a lot of outside shots, you know, about 25 to 30 feet, and uh, I was expected to score. So my uh, original uh, recognition of making things happen was I was brought up for a Western game in February, uh, and I scored 31 points, and we upset Western, who hadn't lost at home in almost three years. They had won 29 straight games at home, and they started substituting in the last part of the first half with some of their second and third team, you know, players. Well, we kept edging closer was only four-point ball game at halftime. Second half, I lit it up with a lot of, and I'm talking 25 to 30 foot plus shots from outside. Now, those weren't games winners at that time, but Art Bisking, Parker Lawless, and others made contributions to free throw shooting and baskets at that time. And uh, that was the scenario of one of the greatest upsets, you know, in the IIAC. Now, the IIAC was the conference we played in at that time, which had the four other schools in Illinois by the name of Eastern Illinois, Western, Northern, uh, you know, and Southern, and ISU, and then the two Michigan schools, Eastern Michigan and Central Michigan, you know. We're a member yeah. of the IIAC, and uh, I had good games against those, particularly my junior and senior years. But so that's how I arrived, 
you know, with the uh, support of Pim Goff making decisions was not the case with Dr. Colley when I was a senior, played regularly all those years and averaged about 15 points a ball game and had the fifth, uh, you know, level of scoring in the conference at about 18 points a ball game. And we tied for second in the conference that year. And, of course, Western was the dominant force and won it. But we gave them a heck of a ball game at home in my last game in which we lost 97 to 93. So, Gene, Gene you, were, you were a good scorer. I, I looked it up. You scored five games, 25 points or more, including you scored 36 points against uh, St. Ambrose. Ambrose. Yeah, yeah. I think I scored 36 points my whole senior year in high school, so uh, uh, you, you were a good scorer. T talk about the style of play that you played uh, um, under, under Coach Goff, and then did it change when Coach Colley came in? Well, during the period I played, you had two forwards, two guards, and a center. You know, you did not have the number two, the number four position, that type of thing. Basically, we ran a wind-up type of system where you, you know, uh, wound around the free-throw circle out there until you could have a penetration, you know, or you had an opening that you could take a outside shot. And that was kind of the style. Uh, Eastern used that. Northern used that. Uh, the, they called it the wind-up. And basically, it was where you rotated around the free-throw circle with screens so that you could try to free up someone, you know, to get a shot or drive to the basket. Now, during the period I played, we did a lot of fast breaking and practiced a lot of fast breaking with uh, particularly Dr. Colley. We'd move the ball down the floor on the side. I had Buzz Shaw, who was later a Hall of Famer and a member of the Missouri Valley Hall of Fame, and finally became chancellor at Syracuse, where they won the NCAA championship, and they were going to file, fire Boheim, but... <laughs> Buzz Shaw came to the rescue, supported him, and he continued on, and that year he won the NCAA tournament. So they kind of backed off of Boeheim's, you know, firing need, you know, because he had success and won the NCAA title. That's a big success. All right, so you played with Fred Marley. Let's talk about him. What was he like to play with? Fred you know, could jump. He was only 6'1", but he could put his arm over the basket. Basically, Fred, we tried to feed Fred all the time because we knew that he would put it up and a lot of times he would score. Now, he, during the period of time that I was playing with him junior year, basically he was leading the nation in scoring at 29.5, you know. But he would put up maybe 30 shots some ball game. But he would fall backwards, and he was a, actually a fear of our coach that he's going to fall backwards and fall back and fall on his uh, back. Now, he won the conference in the high jump well over six feet, but he had tremendous jumping ability. 
and he was an outstanding scorer. He was an outstanding rebounder, and he came over from Manuel High School in Peoria, went down to the U of I to register for classes, got discouraged in the long registration lines, came back through normal, and Pim Goff, the coach, caught him on the street and recruited him right there on the street to come to Illinois State University and became a tremendous basketball player, a conference high jump champion, and he led the nation in scoring for the greater part of his senior year. He's the number three all-time scorer for ISU, Fred Marbury. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how he got recruited driving yes. back. It's, that's amazing. Yes, yeah, Steve. Well, he had a good career here, and he got involved in a situation with a grade and football coaching or one other course where he could have earned a B and the instructor gave him a D and that D made him ineligible, you know. So he was gone at mid-year, you know, my junior year. At that point, I had to take up the slack of scoring and so I put him up, you know, quite a bit and averaged about uh, 15 points a ball game at that time. But I had some good other players with me. Hey, Gigi, Gigi, Gigi. Let me interrupt for a second. If Fred missed the second half of the season his senior year, would he be the all-time leading scorer? I think that that is an accurate assessment of what the situation would have been. I think he would have exceeded the totals of Doug Collins and others, you know, if he would have had that other second semester. Well, yeah, because, well, Doug would have never caught him is probably a more accurate way to say that, right? And so, no. wow. Because Doug, Doug played when the freshman rule was yeah, in another fact, yeah. where you could not play. And Dr. Colley recruited McCollins from Benton, but he could not coach him because he incurred MS out in California during a trip his last year of coaching, and he gave up coaching and went for to the Bureau of uh, Assessment of uh, the uh, area where he was uh, with well vulnerable in admissions, yeah. you know, in yeah. records. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's always an interesting fact about Fred that I'd always heard, right, that he missed the last... 10 to 15 games of his senior year in that thing. All right, so that is uh, awesome for Fred, sad for Fred, but very cool. Now, how about Buzz Shaw? What was he like to play with? Well, Buzz came in as a freshman from having served as a backup guard to bringing the ball up the floor for Manny Jackson and Governor Vaughn, who went on to the University of Illinois and became outstanding players. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but uh, Buzz was a very cool, collected freshman, you know, who came in and inserted himself in the starting lineup. He had an unorthodox jump shot, which he set it up here kind of on the side and the left. And he was a good scorer for a freshman. And I think he averaged in a range of about 10 points a ball game then. And then as he went up the ladder, you know, his sophomore and junior. Now, their next year after I graduated, we lost a couple, two or three players. 
they went on to win the IIAC that year very decisively. And Buzz was a great contributor to that with Dave Schertz, you know, uh, Jerry O'Dell from Galesburg, and two other players. And we had a player from uh, Central Michigan by the name of John Swartz, who became a uh, commentator, you know, for some ball games back in Michigan. But he had played at Central Michigan my junior year, and I have a clip of a shot that I made underneath his outstretched arms. We had his arms clear up like this, and I dipped underneath and put the ball in the basket underneath him. Okay. He came to Illinois State the next year, you know, and helped him very decisively. Very decisively. Wow. They so went let's 24, go one. They went 24 and 5 that year. And, and, That's and right. And made, made it to the NAIA National Tournament. I think we just looked at this up. They lost to Tennessee State, but they won the first two games in Missouri and then lost That's to right. one. That's right. And Rex Parker was another guard on that team that was a sixth or seventh man when I was playing that was a real contributor. Tennessee A&I was a dominant force in that NAI and won it several years. They were second or third, you know. They were really a dominant, you know, in those national tournaments. You couldn't beat them. They had Barnhill and Barnett that went on to play in the NBA, and they were putting up 28 to 35-foot shots, and nothing was there except the bottom of the net. <laughs> wow. Tremendous shooters from that range. But they were a dominant force in that NAI tournament for several years. Tennessee A&I, Barnhill and Barnett. So Gene, you talked about playing with Fred and Buzz, who were the number three and number 13 all-time scorers, but you also played with another top 20. You played with Dave Schertz, who was number 17 all-time scorer for ISU. So you actually played with three of the top 20 scorers in all-time for ISU. That's, that's amazing. Can, can you tell us a little bit about Dave? Dave Schertz was an unassuming, uh, about a 6'3", six, 6'4", six, you know, range height-wise. And he had a tremendous hook shot and an innate ability to rebound for his size. You know, he would go up against some skyscrapers that were much taller than he, maybe 6'10", but he worked hard on position, okay? And he could grab particularly defensive rebounds, you know, uh, and he was unassuming. He was a very close friend of mine, and he died about two years ago. And I continued to communicate with him, and we had always get together down here, and we had an ISU function where they were bringing back former players over at uh, Redbird Arena at that time, and uh, Dave and I had quite a close relationship. He was an outstanding player, he was smooth, he could play good defense, and sometimes he was put on one of the better offensive players of the other team. But Dave Schertz was a class act. And a math major who graduated <laughs> with a degree in math, okay? And when he would go over to the cage at that time, you know, that was that local hangout first at, uh, you know, the back of uh, Fell Hall, and then the cage at... Uh, Union, 
why we would congregate there. And Brad met his wife-to-be, Doris Carmichael, there. And uh, he basically uh, just was a class act. I had several on one was Dave Schertz, who worked with the American Airlines and security. Uh, Jerry O'Dell went to California after he had two or three. And he got his nose broke by Brewer from Northern Illinois, his uh, senior-to-be here, with an elbow. And it, I was sitting under the bench on the north end at uh, ISU's McCormick Gym. And... Uh, the elbow came out on a swing by Brewer, and he floored Jerry, and blood was rolling right steadily in front of me. And it was, uh, it finished Jerry for most of the rest of that year, and he couldn't play. Oh, but that's it, a bummer. It was sad. Yeah. Sad yeah. situation. Gene, I did like your comment uh, about math majors, because we have John is also a math major, not Pemberton. I got recreation with no wife. I got that first. straight. I got that straight, John. <laughs> I know which John it is. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it shows that some of those players were not necessarily all health and physical education majors, you know, necessarily like I was. But I had a minor in social studies of about 28 to 32 hours. And I enjoyed U.S. history and teaching social studies and American problems. And, and I went back to my hometown in Chennault, Illinois, which is 25 miles down the road from Normal. And I taught social studies and driver ed and physical education. And I really enjoyed the social problems and U.S. history teaching, you know. And what I liked was the difference where you could go outside for teaching PE in the fall and the spring, then you could come in and teach the class and teach the classroom phase of driver ed or social studies, and I particularly liked U.S. history. So we had a diversity of players who, you know, were in, like Buzz Shaw, I think he was in social studies, uh, Charlie Brannon, another center on our 57, 58 team. He was a math major, uh, and he was strong, okay? They took their academics very seriously, okay? And uh, they picked those fields like math, you know, science, you know. Now, some went health and physical education, but, you know, a lot of them were in the academic areas that I just mentioned. So, Gene, you went to Shinoa. Aren't they the Redbirds? That was a red bird, and I went out as a red bird, same colors, red and white. Basically, I was involved in the uniforms with red birds on them for, you know, eight years. You know, basically at Chanel, where I led the team in scoring my senior year, and we won the conference with a 12-0 record. I made the all-tournament team at Pontiac at that time, and we got beat by... Uh, one team by one point, and I had a shot at the gun after a free throw was missed, and we had a center jump situation at that time. But I so was, the question, Gene, is: Are you in the thousand-point club at Shinoa? I would assume nine hundred and fifty-six oh, points. So you made the you made the thousand-point club at Illinois right. State. Yeah. Oh. But at Shinoa. I was there before all back in Sarver, 
Uh, Allback was the NBA coach that you're familiar of, and they had a tremendous yeah. team, and they got beat by Pekin in the final game in the sectional uh, Allback senior year, and he got nailed in the first half by a football block by Herb Kaufman, who went on to play at Illinois State University, and uh, they had a controversy at the end of the ball game about a shot that was or was not before the gun or the white turned to red on the rotation of those clocks at that time. And I don't know whether you can picture this, but basically the red came on when you're down to the last minute. And there was a question of the shot that was taken that would have tied them up and ended up losing to Pekin. And Pekin was notorious for winning games at the end, you know, during that <laughs> period of time. Maybe not all completely legitimate. But they still went in the books out of way. Great, great, great uh, stories. Of course, Allback went on for an NBA playing fame as coach of the San Antonio Spurs. Bradley. Played at Bradley. Bradley yeah. So did Stan play at Bradley? Played at Bradley. I did not know was that. a member of yeah. the NCAA regional all-tournament team when he came back from the Army. He also was a member of an all-Army team that, uh, you know, basically won the Army, you know, tournaments. And then uh, the other person that I had that was a member of that was Sarver, who was the leading scorer at ISNU for about four years, NCAA, or he uh, was the IAAC Most Valuable Player two years went on to make the All-Army team at Fort Chaffee, you know, and they won the final. Okay, so I want you to give us an explanation of ISUN versus ISU, and then I'm assuming you were around and kind of know when that actually made the flip, so. Uh, Dr. Bobone came to ISU in 1956, 57 era, and he wanted ISU not to grow beyond 8,000. But as it became a multifunctional university beyond teacher education in a couple of fields, you know, the enrollment growth of ISU was very significant from ISNU to Illinois State University. And uh, Warren Hardin, who was in the Social Studies Department and became Vice President of the University was very instrumental in coordinating efforts to change ISU, ISNU to ISU and it became a multifunctional, you know, university as we know it today. So ISNU is Illinois State Normal University, normal, correct? Because normal stood for a teacher education scholarship. Uh, teacher education facility. Scholarship-wise, you know, very heavily, and a lot of veterans came back from the military and came to Illinois State University and became a teacher and a coach. And I got my master's degree at the University of Illinois in 1962. I went to summer school three summers and, you know, with several other teacher coaches and we worked on our advanced degree 
Ray Torrey over at uh, Morton area in Washington where they had the tornado. His house got destroyed in the tornado. You know, he was superintendent of schools. But I used to drive down to Leroy, pick him up, and we'd go on to graduate school, you know, during the winter, you know. I had to have an exemption from my semester exam for my last course at ISNU because I was coaching and playing in a regional tournament at Fairbury, Illinois with my high school team from Chinoa. And basically, you know, I had an exception to when the semester exam had to be made. But that was the last course I needed to get my master's degree and be eligible for an administrative certificate. And I needed that administrative certificate because I went out of coaching that year and became principal of the high school for Very five cool. years. So I had I had Chanoa experience for 28 years. I wanted to hear about playing in Madison Square Garden. We all refer to it as MSG. I never got that opportunity. Uh, how was it like to play in Madison Square Garden? Well, John, I didn't play. I went to the game with Mel Weisberg. Oh, you went to the game with Mel. Okay, and okay. I watched it. I like to say that I played there, but I went to Madison Square Garden, as all of us understand it. And so, that's when ISU had a good team, and they won, and then they got beat by that shot by Otis Birdsong at the top of the key with three seconds to go, I think it was. Very cool. A tough loss. Yes. But the birds, birds played well in that tournament. Okay, so how did you travel to games? Like if you're going to Western, were you guys in buses? Or? We went by bus. Let me give you a scenario. Uh, I uh, went to uh, St. Ambrose where I scored 36 points, you know. We stayed, the snowdrifts were eight feet high on each side of the road up at St. Ambrose around Davenport. But when we got done playing, we stayed all night, you know, there at, uh, in a hotel at St. Ambrose. And we took the bus into DePaul the next night. And we played DePaul with Ray Meyer, the coach, you know, in yeah. their gym, which is quite different than the gym they play in today. They have newer facilities. But we played in an older gym, you know, and we traveled by bus, John and uh, Steve, for many of our ball games. And we would go to uh, Northern. Now, the trip up north, we would go up to the Michigan schools, Eastern and Central Michigan, and we'd take a bus. And we would go and stay all night, you know, in a hotel and then take the bus the next day to go to play. If we played Northern uh, Michigan uh, school once, we'd play another one. Uh, my senior year, we won uh, the games with the Michigan schools, uh, both home and away. And after that game at Central Michigan, we went in and played DePaul. On the way home. Wow, that's, that's right. Wow. But those were good experiences. We had meals provided us. Uh, they took our lodging, but a lot of time we'd drive to Eastern and Western, you know, and we would come back that same night after the game was over on the bus. Did you, I got one question about Chino. What, what sports did you coach uh, when you were when I, teaching and, and, and the principal? At, at, okay, 
I went back to Chinoa at that time in 1959-60 era, and I was head coach in football, basketball, and track, athletic director for $600, and my teaching salary was 4300 Now, I fortunately went back to a school that was notorious for having outstanding football teams, and when they hired a basketball junkie like me, the town was worried about how they were going to do in football. Well, fortunately for me, I had some talented kids that were not only good football players and liked to hit, but they were good students. I won the conference both years in football, you know, and we only let the opponent score 25 points on us my first year there as head football coach. And then we had more offense than my second team when we won the conference, you know. And basically, we gave up about 45 points for the year, and we scored about 350. But I had a very good... 1980, Chinoa made to the, the state championship. I don't think you were the head coach then. I'm not sure. No, I wasn't. I was principal, and my wife was cheerleader sponsor when we played in 79. I went and to Hampshire. Got... Okay, well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> we, we played Hampshire, and they should have probably been a 2A school. They were, enrollment-wise, much higher than we were, but we got beat decisively by Hampshire. Yeah, we okay. were like 330 kids in, in our school when yeah. I went there. We were 150. Yeah. So, or less. Okay, yeah. but my wife was a cheerleader sponsor, Steve, and, and I was principal. And uh, the next year that uh, was 96, when we played, uh, we won the tournament uh, game there at Hancock on a one minute 30 second before the end of the ball game against, you know, a team from uh, around Macomb. And uh, it was quite an exciting ending to that game. Yeah. But at that that time, I was still principal. Okay. So, basically, I had a good experience. But I know Hampshire real well. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> we 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 were beaten by a better team that day in 1979. In yeah, we, we had gone back to back, so we we lost our cola yes. the year before. Yeah. And then yes. we beat. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't play. I was on the team, but I, I was sat on the sidelines as a freshman. Oh, well, they were good. Yeah. I'm sure it was good. Okay. But uh, the team we beat for the championship in 96, you know, <clears throat> was not probably as strong as Hampshire was. Yeah. But we won it and came from behind to score, and we had an interception, you know, with the score of the time running down. But Leroy also won won the championship, so I was regional superintendent of schools. So I gave out certificates of recognition to Leroy and Shaw both at the same year. So, so Gene, well, I'm going to tee this up. You 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 were a really good free throw shooter. You're still number three overall for the career, over eighty five percent. For one season, you shot 94%, which was the record up until last year. Malachi Poindexter uh, 
94.5. I question one free throw they don't have on the record. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have missed four rather than three. Now, he's already missed five this year, okay? Yeah, uh, he's not going to take it this year. He's not going to do it this year. Yeah. But but let's pull up. John Pemberton for his career shot, 63%. And I got the stats here. So talk about what you did differently than, than, than John Pemberton. You only beat him by 22% uh, uh, on the free throw line. <laughs> well, there are five things in free throw shooting that are very important. First of all, you know, you have to have confidence that every shot you're going to put up there is going to go in. Uh, it may rattle around, okay, but confidence is screwed. You must have good follow-through. You must have arch over the rim. You know, you must bend your knees, and you must have a technique follow-through off of your fingertips. I spent a lot of time in high school shooting free throws, and I shot a lot in college. I would sit around in the gym after practice was over and shoot, you know, and a lot of times I'd go back to the free throw line and shoot free throws. And Steve and John, there was a period in my life where I could close my eyes and shoot some free throws. But it all came down to technique, confidence, and when I was doing that, I was feeling that I could put them in, you know, with my eyes closed. Now, I can make eight or nine free throws that way then I would miss one, being honest about it. But confidence in thinking that you're going to make every shot. And that's kind of the mentality I carried through my high school career, was every shot I put up, I thought I was going to make, whether it was at the free throw line or out on the court, all the way from 15 to 17 to sometimes almost 30 feet. But confidence is key. You've got to think you make every shot. So I'm going to tell my story. I'm a freshman. Now, mind you, my freshman shooting, I shot like 40%. I, I had never played in front of crowds that big in my lifetime. And, and, and being in front of Horton that loud as a freshman or being on TV, I choked quite a few of those games where I went 0 for 6. And just, it was a lot of pressure. Kids today have lived it, seen it on TV and all that. We didn't see it as much on TV. So here I'm freshman year, Kevin DeCrane, my roommate. Gene walks in with one of his teammates. His teammate goes down and shoots with Kevin, practices over, they're pulling back the blue, blue, blue curtains and Horton, and Donald goes, Pemberton, if you can beat Gene or Mr. John Tree in free throws, you don't have to run your 20 line drills. Oh, my God. God, was your out, right, John? Yeah. I shot, I made 8 of 10. Gene didn't hit the rim at all. 10 for 10, all that, bottom of that. I'm like, <sighs> so Donovan's like, not only do you get 20 Pemberton, you get 20 more, so start running. Gene just what was your highest percentage, John? What did you make up the ladder a little bit? Uh, my senior year, I got all the way to 78%. Um, I didn't start off well coming off the broken foot, uh, but closed out well. I was well yeah, in the sure. 80s sure. toward the end of my career, right? And so, yeah. 
shot 80 my sophomore year. My junior year on the broken foot, I played 12 games on a broken foot, and it was tough to shoot free throws oh, yes. with a broken foot. And, yeah, uh, I agree. You know, when you're standing up there, you can't put any weight on that foot. And, and like you talked about technique, it's all in your yeah. techniques, right? I did. Right. I stepped up with my right foot, my left foot stepped in next, and I balanced the weight and I shot the free throw. On the broken foot, I couldn't do that. I, I could. I could step over the right foot, and I had to tenderly have the left foot down, and it, it threw me off. So, but Najee, ninety-four point five percent—that is just phenomenal. Well, my record of ninety-four <laughs> percent made it through sixty-six years. Yeah, and yeah. this last year he got got me by, I think, a half a percent. Okay. Yeah. Now I still—he uh, made fourteen a row last year. And he missed his 15th shot against Bradley, and I had 35 in a row. Wow. He made 34 in a row, okay, yeah. last year when he was on his way to his 94%. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there is one radio announcing situation of a missed free throw that I questioned that he might have shot. But that's history. And we'll accept <laughs> that's a, what you accept as a record from yeah. the records at Illinois State University's box scores. Well, we like to tease Illinois State the fact that the record books are not always correct. We find errors all the time, especially doing this podcast. And the fact that uh, the record book says that Gene played on the 56 57 team, and that's it. They don't have the 54 55. 55, 56, and 57, 58. So mm -hmm. we find errors all the time, and it's just what it is. And so, Gene, 13 for 14. I missed my first free throw. Uh, uh, Three-point play, missed the first free throw against St. Louis, and then hit 13 in a row at St. Louis in Redbird Arena. So that was uh, my best effort. So That's a good effort, John. Not a Gene John Tree effort, but it was close enough. <laughs> well, I, I relish my free throw record. And, you know, uh, when I was keeping uh, score for whatever the records were at my time, they notified you twice a year what the record was, what your scoring percentage and stuff like that. And I ended up uh, finding out that I made 47 out of 53 throws, you know, for 94%. I was uh, told at the athletic bank that you need to go up and get the trophy for the best free throw percentage. You made 94% of your free throws. That's when I knew, you wow. know, I had yeah. won the, yeah. in 1956 and 57. Yeah. I made about 80% of my free throws. You know, my senior year, I think I end up with a percentage of about 85 uh, point something, you know, for my career, you know, so. But I shot a lot of baskets. Back in the days when there wasn't much TV and you would shoot outside or wherever, you know, and put up a lot of shots. Okay, so you have a couple of newspaper articles in front of me. Can you want to look at, you know, read one of those off? Pick one and... Well, the one that I am proud of probably is the fact that our last game at home at ISU uh, in 1957-58 season, we were playing the Western team that went on to 
NIA uh, recognition of top two, three. But we played them at home. We had not lost a ball game at home that year. And we were defeated by Western 97 to 93. And we had a shot at them there at home. But they had some real good ball players. They had Charlie Moore from Mount Vernon's championship team. They had Chuck Barron's from uh, Decatur. They had Grady McCullum, a big tall center. And they had Jack Milan from over at Bartonville and Bill McAfee from Alton. Now that was a polished team with maturity, experience, and that type of thing. We had Dave Shirts, Buzz Shaw, and uh, Gene Jackery, and uh, a couple others. And we gave them quite a game, you know. But they were very good on fast breaks, and they scored some easier baskets, you know, on fast breaks. But they'd get the ball off the board and to go down the floor, you know, in a hurry. And you better get back on defense, otherwise you're going to be burned on a layup. But I really enjoyed that competition against Western, and I scored about 14 points over there earlier in the year, my senior year, but I scored 31 the previous. Morgan Jim is no longer there. It burned down on a fire on Christmas night. So... Well, games are played now at Western Hall, and John, you may have played in Western Hall. Did it once. Once. Yep. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. Yep, yep, yep. Been there. Okay, now, so you brought some other news articles. What's it? Summarize one of the other ones you got. I have one from Eastern, which is that same year I'm talking about, and we ended up uh, edging Eastern 74-73, and... Uh, one of the gentlemen that we've been talking about, freshman guard, Buzz Shaw, gave ISU a lead with 20 seconds left. Oh, wow, that is so cool. And we ended up winning that game, you know, by a 74 to 73 shot. I had 18 points in that game, and Dave Schertz had 22. Buzz Shaw had 15. Now, I really uh, felt like that we were probably the second best team in the conference in 57-58 because that Western team was very talented. They proved it on the court, you know, both home and away and in the national tournament. So kudos to Western Illinois' Leatherneck basketball team of that 1957-58 vintage. All right, you have a picture, and Gene's right across from me, so you have a picture. Why don't you hold that picture up? The big one? Yeah, that one. Hold it up in front of the camera. And who is it? A little higher? This is a picture of the 1954-55 ISU basketball team. And it's a team that Pim Goff coached and was a coach of the team that when I scored 31 points in Western Illinois, uh, a lot of the members in this picture were on that team. i point out a few of them. Basically, Al Meyer, who scored 51 points at ISNU and had the record, tells Bill, Bill, Bill by uh, Doug. Bill Bent. 
by uh, uh, Doug Collins and Bubbles Hawkins. Uh, Wes Hellman is a gentleman who I basically was involved in shuttling between the B team and the varsity and would go in for four or five minutes and try to score. Basically in the middle, over to the right, is Fred Marbury, who we've been talking about earlier. Uh, Art Bisking played on my junior level team and went on to ag school at the University of Illinois. Bob Rickenbach is one of the great athletes in uh, ISNU history for football, basketball, and baseball, multi-sport coach, and uh, that's mainly the ones I like to mention that carried on. Several of them, Jimmy Jones, a notary official, statewide in basketball, you know, and football, was in this picture. So... I had some great teammates, John and Steve, and what made it important are those relationships with those people. And then I can come back to ISU and be a part of the Athletic Hall of Fame Selection Committee, which I still am after almost 22 years, and still relate to athletics, and I have a good relationship with our football coach at Illinois State University. You know, Brock and I talk football. Uh, mine's a different kind of football, but I understand some of the things he's talking about. <laughs> Basically, I've tried to maintain my relationship with the ISU athletic department in football and basketball, and I used to go to a lot of baseball games out at the new baseball facility. And uh, I really have enjoyed my relationship with Illinois State University. That is awesome. All right, we're going to wrap this up. So this has been episode 51 with Gene Jontry, Hall of Fame player. Uh, Gene, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for being on. We've talked about doing this and came over in the snow today. Uh, and so his son dropped it, came over before him. He's going to drive back. So don't get any accidents, but... Besides that, Gene, thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you for making me run extra line drills back in the day. And <laughs> go Redford. So with that, this is the end of episode 51. John, he's supposed to have some clapping, Gene. He just, we're not getting I really enjoyed, I tried. I really enjoyed talking about IS and you and ISU. Are very important to me and a great part and a great part of the heart that I have for my alma mater. Yep. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Gene. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Gene. That was great.